<clears throat> Good morning, Lincoln Avenue. Open your Bibles up to 1 Samuel chapter 27 is where we're going to be at today. 1 Samuel chapter 27, and we're going to be looking at uh, about three or four chapters actually, okay? Uh, so a big uh, section of Scripture, and actually what we could uh, accurately say is that we are looking at a season of David's life, okay? So... Um, in order to do that, what we're going to do is start in uh, 1 Samuel 27. Here's the way I would describe this. We're going to start as David kind of makes his plunge into this season. Uh, we're going to see kind of how he gets there. Uh, and then we're going to work through him in the season and then how he gets out. Okay, so that's going to be kind of our method today. And we're going to begin 1 Samuel 27. Here we go. We're going to read the first, I don't know, four verses or so. And then we're going to jump in. Then David said in his heart, Now I shall perish one day by the hand of Saul. There's nothing better for me than that I should escape to the land of the Philistines. Then Saul will despair of seeking me any longer within the borders of Israel, and I shall escape out of his hand. So David arose and went over, he... And the six hundred men who were with him to Achish, the son of Maok, the king of Gath. David lived with Achish at Gath, he and his men, every man with his household, and David with his two wives, Ahanoam of Jezreel, Abigail of Carmel, Nabal's widow. And when it was told Saul that David fled to Gath, he no longer sought him. Father, we uh, need your help as we look at this scripture today, as we look really at uh, several chapters of the Bible, Father, as we look at this season when David uh, lived in the land of the Philistines. Father, we pray that you would give us insight into kind of what brought him there and what brought him out. And Father, we pray that you would help us to be people who believe, who speak truth. God, empower your word to go forth today. Open minds and hearts, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so our text opens up in chapter 27, verse 1, with David speaking to his heart, okay? Notice that? Then David said in his heart. Now, uh, what I want to point out to you, first of all, is that, is that there are, are a couple different ways that you speak, okay? They're, they're, they're speaking out loud, okay? So you speak out loud, you say it out loud, you say it to others, you say it to your friends, you say it to your family, and then there's another kind of speaking, and that's the kind of speaking you do internally, okay? You, you, you talk to your heart. You say things on the inside that you may not be saying on the outside, okay? Now, here's the deal that, that's true. Most people, and I say most because there are some obvious exceptions to this, but most people are more careful with what they say outwardly than they are with what they say in their own heart, okay? So most of us, we are like, you know what? I want to be careful what I say, you know, how people hear it, you know, what, what people might think of me or others. You know, I, I, I'm careful with what I say outwardly to others, okay? Again, not everybody. Some people just let it all rip and, you know, um, we have special prayers for them, okay? Uh, but, but most people... They're careful with what they say outwardly, but they're not as careful with what they say in their own heart, okay? And, and so what, what you say to yourself, what you think to yourself, what you're saying in your heart, listen, that, that there's, a, there's as much need for us to be careful with that as there is the other, okay? 
And, and, and so here's just the reality. It's very possible that you just greeted some folks here just a little bit ago, and you said, how are you? And they said, outwardly, I'm fine. How are you? You know, I'm doing great. Yeah, having a good week, having a good week. You know, they said that outwardly, and it's very possible that they're sitting right near you right now, and on the inside, they're saying different things. Okay, it's very possible that they're speaking to their heart right now on the inside, and they're saying things like, my life is terrible. You know, God doesn't answer my prayers. You know, I just don't know if I can trust him. I just don't know if I believe all this Christianity stuff. You know, I just don't ever get anything, and God's never good to me, and all these people are just... I mean, they could be saying all kinds of things on the inside that we don't see on the outside. Okay, now here's what the Bible says. The Bible says, be careful with what you say in your heart. Proverbs 4.23 says, guard or keep, keep your heart with all vigilance. For from it flow the springs of life. What does that mean? That means that your whole life is going to flow out of what's going on internally in your heart, okay? So it's, it's incredibly important that we, that we speak true things in our hearts. That's really what Paul was telling us in Philippians 4, verse 8, when he said, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Paul gives us this litmus test and says, Look, don't, don't say things in your heart that are not true. Okay? So, so it's important what goes on in our hearts. Okay? Now, Let's listen to what David is saying internally. Isn't it cool that the Bible gives us a picture of this, you know? How else would we know this except for the inspired Word of God, okay? But we have a glimpse not only what David's saying outwardly, but what is he saying inwardly that leads him to the next year and four months in the Philistines' camp, okay? Verse 1, we read it again. Then David said in his heart, Now I shall perish one day by the hand of Saul. He says, Saul's going to kill me, okay? Saul's going to kill me. And there's nothing better for me than that I should escape to the land of the Philistines. Now, hold on. Hold on. Is any of that true? Is is any of what David just said in his heart true? I mean, basically what he says is, I got nothing, man. There's nothing good for me. There's nothing better for me. I'm going to perish. Saul's going to kill me. I'm not going to be king. It's, it's all over. That's what he's saying in his heart. Let me ask you folks, is that true, okay? Just from what we've looked at in the last month or so, is that true? It's not true at all, okay? First Samuel chapter 16, what does the Bible tell us? The Bible says Samuel the prophet came to Jesse's house. He said, bring out your sons. Jesse brought them out. He goes through them all. Nope, not you, not you, not you, not you, not you. Gets to the last one, the shepherd boy, and God says, that's him. That's the next king of Israel. That's the man after my own heart. Anoint him. And Samuel anoints David as the next king of Israel, okay? What do we see from then? Well, in chapter 23, Jonathan, the prince of Israel, the the next in line for the throne, Saul's own son, what does he say? Well, verse 16 of chapter 23, And Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horish and strengthened his hand in God. Verse 17, And he said to him, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. What does Jonathan say? You're not going to die by Saul. Saul's not ever going to find you. He's not ever going to kill you. It's not going to happen. You will be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Well, what does uh, chapter 24 say? Well, after the whole cave incident, remember that a couple of weeks ago? Saul's going to the bathroom in the cave. David could kill him. He doesn't kill him. He stops all his men from killing him because he's not going to take this into his own hands. And what does Saul himself say after he finds that out? 
verse 20 of chapter 24. And now behold, I know, this is Saul telling David, I know you shall surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hand. How about the next chapter? Chapter 20. We're just going chapter by chapter here. Chapter 25. Uh, David's on his way to kill Nabal. Abigail wisely intercedes and speaks the word of God to him. What word of God does she speak to David? Verse 29. If men rise up to pursue you and seek your life, the life of my Lord David shall be bound up in the bundle of the living in the care of the Lord your God. and the lives of your enemies, he shall sling out as from the hollow of a sling. She tells David, God's going to take care of you. God's going to protect you. Don't worry about your enemies. God has this under control. Verse 30. And, the, and when the Lord has done to my Lord according to all the good he's spoken concerning you and has appointed you a prince over Israel, you're going to be king. What does David himself say in chapter 26, the chapter right before our text today? Chapter 26, uh, God delivers Saul into David's hands again. David won't take vengeance. Verse 9, and David says to Abishai, don't destroy him, for who can, who can put out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? Verse 10, and David said, as the Lord lives, the Lord will strike him, talking about Saul, and his day will come to die, and he will go down into battle and perish. Okay? Consistently, what have we seen? Saul is not going to kill David. God is going to protect David, and God is going to make him the king. All right? What is David saying in chapter 27? It's all over. He said in his heart, it's done, it's over, Saul's going to kill me, nothing but I might as well go live with the Philistines. I might as well go live with the enemies of God. That's the only way that I'm going to be protected. Now think about that. This is the future king of Israel. Not just the future king of Israel. This is the one for whom God himself says, I'm going to build you a house. And you're going to sit on the throne. And your sons are going to sit on the throne. And not only that, but from your descendants, from your kingly line, is going to come the king of kings who's going to reign forever and ever. And David's saying in his heart, what? I got nothing. I got nothing. What's happening here? You know what's happening. You've had one of these parties, haven't you? Huh? You sent out invitations, huh? You put up streamers, and you had a little pity party. Did you not? Don't lie. We know you did. You had it. You had it. Maybe people didn't know. Most likely they did, but maybe they didn't. But in your heart, what were you saying? You, you were despairing. You're into a little depression. You're having a pity party. You're having what I like to call a spiritual funk, okay? You're just, you're just out of it spiritually. You're not on your game. You're, you're, you're not speaking truth. And what I want to show you here, and I think this is very important, is that I believe that David's, what David said, says in his heart right here that leads him to some bad decisions, I believe is connected to unbelief in his life. Now, We've got to unpack that, okay? Because you could easily go the wrong direction with that. What do I mean by unbelief? Well, first of all, was David a believer? Yes. Yes, he was, okay? In one sense, you either believe or you don't, okay? Every single person in this room, you, you could be put into two categories right now, okay? Believer or unbeliever. Everybody in this room. There's nobody in the middle. There's nobody straddling the fence. There's nobody that doesn't fit into one of those categories. You're either connected to Jesus Christ in a faith relationship. You're either in Christ or you're not. Okay? You're either saved by the blood of Jesus through a faith relationship with him or you're not. You're lost. Okay? And so to some degree, you either have faith or you don't. But 
in other ways, let's talk, let's talk about those who do have faith, believers. Let me ask you this question. Is your faith always pegged out to the full? Okay, so when we say you have faith, does that mean, whoom, you know, you couldn't have any more? I mean, you just couldn't stuff any more faith in you. You're, you've got it to the max. That's not true, is it? I mean, there's times where, where your little faith gauge, it, it goes like this, right? There's times where it drops. There's times where it goes up a little. There's times, some of us, it goes like this, right? I mean, there, 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 that's true. Why, why else did Jesus tell his disciples, how many times did he do this? Oh, you have little faith. How many times did he do that with his disciples, huh? How, how, about, how about that guy, Mark? Do you remember that guy or, you know, in the gospel, Mark, where, where Jesus is going to heal his son? Do you remember that? And, and, and here's what he says. he says. He says, all things are possible for those who believe. And, and then, the, then the guy, I love this line. He says, I believe, help my unbelief. Remember that? What does that mean? I believe, help my unbelief. I mean, that, that what he's saying there is, Lord, I need more faith. Give, give, give me more faith. And so the reality of, of, of the scriptures is that we, we are in this, as, as a believer, we're in this times where sometimes we have more faith and sometimes we have less faith, okay? And so what we see in David is that David enters into a time where he's not speaking truth into his life. He's not embracing the promises of God. He's beginning to doubt them, okay, for whatever reason. Maybe not outwardly, but he's saying it in his heart. And, and you know, one of, the, one of the biggest proofs of this that we have this wavering faith at times, is the fact that all sin is connected to unbelief. Okay? Now, whenever you sin, and and I think all of us, if we're honest about ourselves, we're going to say, well, there are times that we sin, even as believers, right? That's why the Bible tells us we need to confess our sins. Okay? And as believers, as we sin, there's a connection between our sin and unbelief. Okay, let me just go through the Ten Commandments real quick, or some of the Ten Commandments real quick, okay? So if you worship something other than God, if you put something before God, what does that mean? That means you're, you're, you're not believing that there's one and only God who is worthy of your love and devotion, that Jesus is better than anything, okay? If you take God's name in vain, I think you're, you're not believing that he's holy, that he's awesome, that he's not to be trifled with. If you don't honor him with your time and attention and worship, then you're not believing that he's better than life. If you don't honor your parents, you're not believing that God in his providence has provided you with authority figures for your good. If you take the life of another and murder, hopefully you don't do that, but if if you did, you would not be believing that life is sacred because all men are created in His image and that God is an avenger of sin, okay? If you commit adultery, you're not believing that God, that God, you're not believing God that marriage is a picture of Christ in the church and that God has made you one with your spouse in the marriage covenant. If you steal, you're not believing that God will provide for you and that, that what He has to give is better than what you could take for yourself. If you lie you're not believing that god is truth and the devil is a liar and that god will take care of you better than your deception will take care of you if you covet you're not believing that god is everything you need and that he'll provide everything you need and so sin is always connected to unbelief do you see that there's a connection there okay and so whenever we sin we know that 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 our belief is is wavering okay and so david when we see him here ignoring the promise of God. When we see him here not affirming the promise of God in his life, what we see is there's a pocket of unbelief in David's heart, okay? We're not judging him. We're just observing from the text here that he's not standing on the promises of God. Now, when I say the promises of God, we we need to clarify that a little bit because indeed, 
For us as believers, we live by faith in the promises of God. 2 Peter chapter 1 tells us that, okay? So 2 Peter 1 verse 3 and 4 says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him. Basically, you got everything you need to live the Christian life through knowing Christ, okay? Now listen to this, verse 4. By which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, okay? So as believers, we live by the promises of God. But let, let, me, let me clarify something here. The promise to David is a little bit different than the promise to us, okay? Now let me tell you why. The promises to David are specific promises to David about a specific situation, okay? Right? So, so the promise to David that he's going to be the king of Israel, you can't claim that, can you, right? Fred can't go home today and say, Karen... I'm going to be the king of Israel, you know, because I'm, I'm reading those promises of David, and, and man, I'm going to be king. I mean, he, he can't do that. That was for David. It was a specific promise for a specific situation. And, and let me just testify by my own Christian life. I, I don't have promises just to me. I mean, I, I just, my Christian life hadn't been that way. I'm not saying God can't do that. God can do whatever he wants. But, but, but when I look back at my Christian life, it just hadn't worked that way. When uh, in 1996, I was called to, uh, to lead a revival at Lincoln Avenue Baptist Church. You guys had another guy scheduled, and he canceled, and you could not find anybody else. And you scraped the bottom of the barrel and finally came up with my name. And, and you got me, and you brought me here. When we were coming here, we had no promise, okay? We had no promise. Him and I did not say, you know what? God is going to make us the pastor of this church. I mean, we had no promise like that. We didn't. Let me tell you why we came. We I'd never preached a revival, and I thought if, if I'm going to be a pastor, I probably should know how to do that, all right? And so that's why we came. We came, we preached, we had a great week, we loved the people, we loved the church, and just had a fantastic, you know, spirit-filled time. Uh, we thought Winnie was a hoot. I mean, we just left here saying, man, that's, that's a great place. But as we're leaving Woodward, we, we had no promise that God was going to put us here. We, in fact, we didn't even think it was going to happen. We kind of put it out of our mind. We left here saying, that was a great church, man, I hope they find a pastor, Right? Five months later, Tony Haskins calls us, says, hey, would you consider being a pastor at Lincoln Avenue? Again, we had no promise. We did not know that that was going to happen. You know, we said, hey, here's an open door. We, we want to pastor a church. We feel like that's God's call on my life. And, and so, hey, let's explore this. Let's pray about this. Let's pray with the church about it. And indeed, God led us here. Okay? But there was no specific promise. Em and I, when we were uh, uh, newly married, we talked. We wanted to have a big family. We felt like that was God's plan for us to have a big family. We had no promise, okay? We, we started having kids in college. I thought it was a bad idea, but after two days of crying, she changed my mind, you know? I was like, man, I can't take that no more. So we started having kids. We had two kids right in a row, just like she planned them, you know, just like she wanted them. And then all of a sudden, she starts having miscarriages, you know? And she, and she loses several babies and just heartbreaking for her. And, 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 and we had no promise. You see, I'm just telling you this because I hear other people saying differently, okay? But I'm just telling you, we had no promise. God did not shout out of the heavens and say, you're going to have five kids. I mean, we, did not, we didn't have that, okay? We did not know. We just knew, hey, we're going to trust God. We're going to look to him. We're, we're, whatever his plan is, we're going to be obedient. We see what's happening in the scriptures. And, you know, God gave us five. You know, that was his plan for us, okay? And, and, and so, so we didn't have promises like David, okay? You are going to be the specific king of Israel, right? We didn't have that. But do we as Christians have promises? Absolutely. What are they? There's too many to count. There's too many to say here today, but let me just give you a few of them, okay? 
Romans 10, 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Matthew 6, 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things will be added to you. 1 John 1, 9, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Romans 8, 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good to those who love him. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 uh, says, do not be anxious about anything, but in, but in everything, through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. James 4, 8, draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. James 4, 6, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Matthew eleven twenty eight. come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Matthew 10, 32, whoever acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. James 1, 12, blessed the man who remains steadfast fast under trial for when he has stood the, 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 the test God will give him the crown of life and on and on and on we could go and those promises are for every believer in Christ okay if you're in Christ those are yours now how exactly do we hold on to those how do we how does that work in our lives we'll take James 4 6 okay so God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Okay, so let's say I'm in a situation where somebody is cursing me, or someone's putting me down, or someone's treating me spitefully. What do I need to do? I need to grab onto that promise. I say, okay, God, here's what you said. You said that God resists the proud. That's that guy. But God gives grace to the humble. And God, I want your grace. I want your power in my life. I want, I want, I want, I want your help in my life, okay? God gives God gives grace to the humble. So I humble myself. I treat that person with humility. I, I, I treat them with care and kindness and love as Christ would treat them. All right, when is the fulfillment going to come? When's it going to come? How's it going to come? How's God, what particular form is his grace going to take? Well, I don't exactly know that. I don't exactly know when, and I don't exactly know how. Now, now here's some things I do know. Okay, from Ephesians 3, 20 and 21, I do know that whatever God does is exceedingly abundantly beyond all I could ask or imagine. Okay, I know that he's never going to disappoint. Okay, I know that I'm never going to get God's grace. It's going to be like, oh, that was all great. I should have been prideful. You know, if that's all I was going to get. Okay, God is never like that. Okay, he never disappoints. All right. So I don't know exactly the form that's coming, but it is coming. Now, when is it coming? Well, again, I don't know that either. Now, now you know what we would like, right? We would like for a 10-minute delay, right? Now, we don't all want to be selfish, so we don't want to say God immediately, but 10 minutes would be good, right? Isn't that what we want? We want promise, I grab onto it, there's a fulfillment in 10 minutes, right? So I'm standing before that person, I humble myself, and then I start waiting. You know, 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Lightning bolt from heaven obliterates them. It doesn't, it doesn't kill them instantly. There, there's just enough time as they're writhing on the floor to look up and say, I'm sorry, Jason, and then they die, right? And they're like, yes, that was what I want. I want 10 minutes, and I want fulfillment right there. Unfortunately, that's not the case. It doesn't work that way, does it? We, we, we got to hold on. Now, why does it work that way? Why, why when God anoint? Okay, so here's Samuel. Samuel anoints David king in 1 Samuel 16. Why doesn't David immediately get on his donkey, right? Ride to Jerusalem, get off the donkey, and go get on the throne. Put the crown on his head. Why doesn't that happen? That's not the way it happens. 
Samuel anoints him king in 1 Samuel 16, and then what happens? Well, then he goes back to herding sheep, and then his dad sends him with pizza to his brothers in the battle, and he goes, and his brothers mock him and tell him to get out of here. He just wants to watch the battle, and he ends up going down slaying Goliath, and he becomes friends with Jonathan, and then Saul tries to kill him through numerous battles, and then he throws a spear at him, and then he, he, he's got to flee for his life, and he's helped by the priest, and Saul kills the priest, and then he, he, he has to flee to the, the mountains and, and the caves, and, and and a bunch of people come to him and he gathers kind of a small army and rescues cities and then those cities betray him and he, he lives for years on the run and it's not until 2 Samuel 2 that he's actually anointed king that the promise of God comes to fruition. Now why didn't God do it immediately? Why wasn't it? You're king, get on the, on the donkey, go to Jerusalem, boom. Why not? Because you and I You and I and David, we need to learn to live by faith. You understand that? It's really for us, okay? It's not any kind of deficiency on God's part, okay? It's not like God anoints David king and then he just can't get it done. You know, he's trying. He's trying real hard. David, I'm trying, but I can't get Saul out of the way. No. No. You and I need to live by faith in God's promises. We need to trust God's promises. The process of trusting the word of God in the middle of struggle and difficulty is one of the tools that God uses to shape us, okay? This is the way it needs to work in your life. You need to grab onto God's promise. You need to trust his word and trust his character, and you need to live through difficulty when when you're being pressed and pushed, okay? Because at the heart of of, of that process is, what do you really think of God? I mean, it's going to show. What do you think of God? I mean, do you, do you, can he be trusted? Is he faithful? Is he wise? Is he good? Is he on the ball? Is he perfect? Does he hear me? Is his way better? Is his timing better? All those things are coming into play. How you live and what you say in your heart indicate what you think of God. So do you trust him? Does David trust him? See, here's where things get complicated. I mean, things are just not always black and white. I mean, wouldn't, wouldn't it be great if, if every Christian in the Bible, this is actually be horrible because it doesn't match our lives, but every Christian in the Bible, just imagine if, if every Christian in the Bible, it was like they just trusted God and they never had any mess ups, you know? Never had any lapse of faith, never had any of this stuff going on. They just, whoo, you know, trusted God completely, never doubted. Man, we'd feel bad, wouldn't we, about ourselves, okay? We'd, in fact, what most of us would say is, man, I don't know that I'm a Christian because my life doesn't look like that. Okay, but, but I think most of us, we resonate with David here, don't we? We resonate with having trials. Okay, what, what causes David to say in his heart, I'm going to perish one day by the hand of Saul? What causes him to say that? When in chapter 16 and chapter 20 and 23 and 24 and 25 and 26... He's clearly heard from the word of God contrary. What caused him to say that? Well, continual trials, right? He spared Saul's life twice now, and the guy keeps coming after him. Constant opposition. Long periods of waiting. Some of you have experienced those very same things, haven't you? Man, what's interesting is Once David starts talking this way in his heart, man, things get a little ugly. 
You, you know, I think the most interesting thing about it, listen to David before, okay? So here's David before, okay? So I'm going to read you some verses. So chapter 23, verse 2. Uh, Therefore David inquired of the Lord, shall I go attack these Philistines? Verse 4, and then David inquired of the Lord, inquired of the Lord, uh, and the Lord answered him. Um, verse uh, 10, then David said, O Lord, the God of Israel, your servant has surely heard that Saul seeks to come to Kilah to destroy the city on my account. Will the men of Colossae, he's seeking the Lord. Chapter 24, he spares Saul's life because he said, God's going to judge between me and you. God's going to handle this. Chapter 25, he listens to the word of Abigail. Yes, that's the word of the Lord. I'm going to put this in God's hands. God's going to take care of my enemies. Chapter 26, he doesn't take Saul's life. He says, God's going to destroy him. God's going to take care of it. But all of a sudden in chapter 27, you know what's interesting? He goes and lives with the Philistines. Did did, did you get the irony? He's going to Achish, the king of Gath. Where have you heard that before? Where's Goliath's hometown, by the way? Gath. He's going to Goliath's hometown. You would think that's something you ought to pray about, wouldn't it? You know? I mean, wouldn't that be an obvious thing? God, should I go? Is this what you want? That's not the way he's working right now. The way he's working right now is kicking dirt. You guys do that sometimes, right? God's not doing nothing for me. All I got is constant trials. Everything goes good for everybody in my Sunday school class, but I'm just continually afflicted. Can't trust him. Right? I think I'll just... I ain't going to no small group. I don't care what that pastor said, right? Huh? Huh? Listen to him. Listen to him. This is David. Now I shall perish one day by the hand of Saul. Man, that is contrary to God's word. That is contrary to David's experience. David, what about the bear? What about the lion? And no one, remember he gets up to face Goliath and everybody's like you can't do this and he's like dude I face bear Goliath bear lion I mean God, God's delivered me he'll, he'll deliver me again confidence in God that's that's the David we used to know now he's like no I'm gonna die Samuel's told him different Jonathan's told him different Abigail's told him different but David in in this instance is basing What he says to himself, not on the word of God, but listen, on his weariness. You guys ever get weary? Hey, you're not alone. Remember Abraham? Abraham is the guy of faith, isn't he? When you look in your New Testament, the man of faith is who? It's Abraham, right? Even Abraham, he he went through the same struggle, right? God promises him, you have a son. You have descendants of me as the stars of the heaven and the sand of the sea. And through your family, all the nations of the world are going to be blessed. Abraham's like, all right, God, I'm going. Let me follow you. Five years go by. Ten years go by. Fifteen years go by. He's looking at Sarah. She's, she's in her 80s. This does not look good, right? And what does David, what does Abraham do? He has a momentary lapse, right? Well, God, maybe you meant Eliezer, my servant. No, Abraham, I meant you. Sarah, well... Maybe he meant Hagar, my servant. Here, Abraham, here's a young gal. Why don't you marry her, have a child? Maybe that's what God meant. That was not what God meant. But why, how'd they get there? Weariness, right? Weariness. 
year after year, decade passing. We're getting older. This looks more and more impossible. Is God really going to come through for us? You know what the biggest danger in these kind of weariness situations is? The biggest danger is that we will look for relief more than we look for faithfulness. You ever notice how many sins come about because we're looking for immediate relief? Okay? You lie on your expense report. Why'd you lie? Well, you were looking for immediate cash, weren't you? Immediate solution to your problem. Instead of trusting God to provide... I mean, I, I can get this done quickly, right? Why do people throw a fit when they're angry? And they want the immediate satisfaction of telling everybody, idiot, 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 right? That's why you do that. You want that immediate. You all are going to know. I'm not going to trust God with this deal. I'm going to let you know right now. Pornography. It's the promise of immediate relief of sexual fulfillment. It doesn't deliver, but that's what the promise is. Substance abuse. It's a promise of immediate relief of stress and problems. Gossip, slander. It's the promise of immediate relief of exalting yourself and diminishing others. David sought immediate relief. And here's the scary thing. Sin will work initially. Sometimes. Look at 27.4. And when it was told Saul that David had fled to Gath, he no longer sought him. Hey, it worked, right? Well, sort of. Because when you read 27, 28, and 29, you see a different David. You see a David who is a habitual liar. I mean, it's sad. When you enter down that road, man, you're going to find it does not lead somewhere good. David literally has to lie every day to keep from being killed. He's got to pretend to be somebody he's not. He's got he's to tell a quiche, I'm for you, I'm against the people of God. When he goes on a raid... To the Amalekites and, and, and the other folks, you know, that are allies with the Philistines. He's, he's got to lie. He's, first of all, he's got to kill everybody. Wow, he's got to slaughter them all. Because if anybody, if he leaves anybody alive, they're going to tell. So he's got to kill them all. And then when he comes back, Achilles says, hey, David, where you been? He's got to be real vague. You know how we, we justify our lies, don't we? Oh, I've been down south. Down south. South of Judah implying, I've been killing Israelites. Akish, you'd be proud of me. No, he hasn't. And that culminates in a sticky situation where you're going to be forced to choose. That's, that's, where, that's where it's a lead for us as well. Chapter 28, Akish says, we're going to war against Saul and Jonathan, and you're coming with us. Whew, what's he going to do now? Oh, man, it's on, right? If he says no, then Akish is going to know. That he's not really for the Philistines. If he says yes, there's no way he can say yes. He can't. I mean, he he can't go to war. He won't lift a finger against Saul. Jonathan is his best friend in the world. He's whom he's made a covenant with. Fortunately, God rescues him. All right, I'm going to have to go fast now. Are you ready for the fast version? I'm going to tell you the rest of the story real quickly. God rescues him through the other Philistines, right? Because they get there to battle, and the other Philistine lords are looking around. They're saying, what is this guy doing on our side? Okay? He's not on our side. We've seen what he's done to our men. We saw what he did to Goliath. Get him out of here. And so David leaves. But when he goes back to his home, guess what's happened? The Amalekites have come through, and they've wiped out everything, and they've took everything. There's nothing there. There's no wives. There's no children. There's no possessions. It's burned to the ground. And David, remember this season that started with 
Hey, I can't trust God. He hits rock bottom. Rock, rock bottom. Look at verse chapter 30, verse 4. Ready? Then David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. That's, that's rock bottom, isn't it? Look at verse 6. And David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him because all the people were bitter in soul. These same guys who have been through thick and thin with this guy, who have trusted him in the caves, who have been loyal to him no matter what, now they're turning on him. I think they see something in David they don't like. And here's the beauty of David. And maybe you're in this spot. Maybe you're at rock bottom. Maybe, maybe a year ago, maybe six months ago, you started saying things in your own soul that weren't true. You started not trusting the promises of God and that's led you into pretending to be somebody you're not. It's led you into all kinds of sticky situations. You find yourself right now to be rock bottom. What does David finally do in verse six? The end of it, it says, but David strengthened himself and the Lord is God. You hear that? David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Now, what exactly does that mean? Because I want to know what that means because it's really good, okay? What does it mean to strengthen yourself in the Lord your God? Well, first of all, I think it means you begin to talk to yourself, talk to your soul in a different way than you did before, okay? What is David saying to his soul before? Man, I'm, I'm finished. God's not done anything for me. There's nothing good for me. Man, I, I think he begins to speak to his soul differently. I think he begins to do what Psalm 42 does. Okay, listen to this guy talking to his soul. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. I shall again praise him, my salvation, O my God. That's the way you ought to talk to yourself. When you find yourself depressed, when you find yourself pinned down, when you find yourself oppressed, okay, you need to tell your soul, hey, hope in God. Trust God. And David strengthens himself in the Lord as God. David begins not to depend on himself, but he begins to trust in the promises of God. He remembers God's promises. He remembers God's character. And he looks to God. And finally, we see in chapter 30, he inquires of God. Look at verse 7. And David said to Abathar, the priest of the son of Amimelech, Bring me the ephod. Verse 8. And David inquired of the Lord, Shall I pursue after this band? Shall I overtake them? And you know what's the interesting thing to me? He starts praying in chapter 30. But you know what's really funny about that? You would think if there was ever a time not to have to pray, it would be now, right? I mean, if someone comes into my house and they steal Emma and Hannah and, and Addie and Haddon and Avery and, 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 and Haven, I mean, do I really have to ask that question? You know, someone stole them. They're on their way to Enid. You know, do I have to say, hey, should I go after them or not? Or just let them go? Ah, you can have them, you know. I mean, you would think that that would be a no brand. This is a warrior king. But here's what I think about David. I think, you know what chapter 30 shows us? This guy is turned around now. He's going back to the Lord. And so he, now he's looked like this. God, should I go? Will I overtake him? What should I do? Lead me. I'm submitting to you. And from this point on, you see a different David. You see the old David. Long story short, 600 guys, they take after the Amalekites. They get to the brook of Bezor. 200 of them have been eating at McDonald's and no cardio. They can't make it anymore. So 400 keep going. 200 stay with the baggage. They find an Egyptian wandering in the wilderness. They, they give him food and water. He tells them where the Amalekites went. They go down and they strike them down for a day, an entire day. And then verse 19 is be a beautiful picture of the mercy of the Lord. Nothing was missing, whether small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything that had been taken. David brought back all. 
How many of you have been in situations, you're at rock bottom, and you're like, it's never going to be fixed. Never going to be fixed. And then God turns around and does something amazing and brings you through it better than ever. David's a different guy. Later in that chapter, those 400 guys that went to the battle, they, they're saying the 200 guys shouldn't get any of the spoil. They can just have their wives and their kids back. Man, David's the old David. He's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. This is the Lord's victory. The Lord has given us this victory. Everybody's going to share. He's a guy of grace, a guy of mercy. It's the old David back. Where are you at? I think there's, there's two groups of people I want to talk to right now just to finish this up. I think there's probably some of you that are, you're in this season, okay? Maybe a week ago, maybe a month ago, maybe a long time ago, you started saying things in your soul that were not true. You started having a pity party. You started telling yourself that God didn't really care about you. You started telling yourself that God couldn't really be trusted. And that's led you down a wrong road. You've not been following him. You've not been inquiring him of him as you ought to be. And now you're living a lie. You're pretending to be somebody you're not. Man, today's the day that you strengthen yourself in the Lord your God. You remember who he is. You remember his character. You remember what he's done for you. You remember his promises. And you, you start seeking him. Others of you, man, you're riding high, right? Man, life is good. You're trusting God. Things are awesome. Unfortunately, the probability is you're headed at some point for some struggles, right? How awesome would it be for us to be ready for that, huh? How awesome would it be for us to have in our mind, I know that my faith is going to be tested. I know that I'm going to have struggles that are coming. I know that's coming for me. And man, I'm going to hold on. I'm going to hold on to what God has said. I'm going to to have a death grip on it, and I'm not letting go. How great is that? Let me pray for you. God, I just pray for us, God, as a church. Uh, Lord, I pray for those who are in a season of, of struggle. God, who are in a season of, of maybe despair, maybe in a season of depression, maybe in a season of, of just a, a pity party or a spiritual funk. What, whatever it is, God, I, I pray. I pray, Father, that they would strengthen themselves in the Lord God today. Father, that we would remember your character, that we would remember that you can be trusted. God, that we would trust that you're going to bring, you're going to bring your promises to fruition in your time and in your way, and it's going to be the best thing ever. God, help us to hold on. And Lord, others of us, God, we're, we're getting ready to enter into that time. And God, I pray that you would show us to be faithful. God, that you would give us a death grip onto your promises. God, help us to hold on even when our faith is tested. God, bring us through. Lord, we ask it in Jesus' name.